As they're finding your seats, why don't we open up our Bibles to the book of Acts. We're going to look at Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 22 today. Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 22. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is is a stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Thus ends our reading of God's powerful word. May all who hear it be given the boldness of Jesus Christ. It was in the year 1900 during the Boxer Rebellion in China that the insurgents had surrounded and captured a missionary station, which at the time was housing roughly 100 students students who had converted to Christianity. 
These insurgents proceeded then to block off all the gates except for one. And, and, and they had left that one gate open in order that they might test these students' commitment to this Jesus whom they worshipped. You see, in, in the front of that one gate, they had placed a cross flat on the ground. And they had told the students who were held up inside that, that any who would trample the cross underfoot would be spared. Spared both their life and their freedom. And yet any who refused would have to go before the firing squad to be shot. Well, being terribly frightened, the first seven students made their way out, trampling the cross as they went, and they were allowed to go free. But the eighth student, a, a young girl, refused to deny her king. Instead, she, she knelt before the cross and prayed for strength. And when she arose, she, when she, arose, she carefully tiptoed around the cross so as not to even touch it. And, and then with, without hesitation, she walked straight to the firing squad. Well, the remaining 92 students were strengthened by this young girl's example. And every one of them followed her to that firing squad, where they eventually died as martyrs. We have been in this book of Acts for eight weeks now, and, and thus far we have seen nothing but God's favor upon his church, have we not? And we, we, we saw that the church was being blessed as the, as the Holy Spirit descended upon them, giving them power to proclaim the gospel boldly. And God was able to use that bold speech in order to grow his church. They went from a ragtag group of 120 to roughly 3,000 in one day. And then we saw that God's blessings continued, did we not? as God had given to this group a unity amongst themselves, as they were fully devoted, not only to one another, but to the things of God, to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. And God had blessed his apostles as well, right? By performing many signs and wonders through them as he was establishing their leadership within the church. And we were able to witness such a sign just two weeks ago as we saw Peter and John as they were going up to the temple during the time of prayer. Before they had arrived, before they entered in, what happened? They were distracted, right, by this guy asking for alms. This man who had been lame from birth. A man who had spent the majority of his life sitting at that temple gate. And yet Peter didn't have any money, did he? But what he did have was even better. Because he had a risen Savior. So Peter commanded this man, rise in the name of Jesus Christ. And wouldn't you know it? That man was instantly healed. And in his joy, what did he do? He then followed Peter and John into the temple, leaping and praising God. Because his life as a, as a beggar at that temple gate was now over. And because he had spent so many years at that temple gate, because everybody recognized, everybody knew who he was, this caused quite a stir, right? 
And this allowed Peter and John to proclaim the gospel to the masses that had formed around them. Peter commanded these astonished Jews to turn from their sins, to repent before it was too late, and to embrace their Messiah, Jesus Christ. For in God's mercy, he was giving the Jewish people time to repent. Like I said before, thus far we have seen nothing but God's blessings in this book. But all that is about to change as we look at our passage for today. For Luke is going to demonstrate to us that obedience to the commission of Jesus Christ will eventually lead to conflict with the world. Look at our first few verses. Look at verses 1 through 3. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. And so the stage is now set for this great conflict between, between the world and this newly founded church. And already we are beginning to see who the players are. Luke mentions that, that the priests and the captain of the temple, as well as the Sadducees, come upon Peter and John and they arrest them. So who are these men? Whom is Luke speaking of? Well, considering all that took place happened at Solomon's porch, Solomon's portico, which was right next to the temple, it's not surprising that we see both the priests as well as the captain of the temple running interference, right? I mean, the priests were those who had the burden of, of, of the temple worship. They were the ones who were to lead God's people as sacrifices were brought to the temple as people worshipped their, their God, Yahweh. And the, camp, the captain of the temple, he, he was the man who was in charge of temple security. He, he was pretty much second in command there behind the high priest. And then we see the Sadducees. Who are they? Well, they were basically the elites within Jerusalem. They were, they were the rich high priestly class who really controlled all that went on within the temple. Now, we'll, we'll see some of the names of these Sadducees as we get further into our story, but suffice it to say, the group who had arrested Peter and John, they were, they were all of the same elk. They, they, they were all in cahoots with one another. And they were the ones who had control over the temple. But the question we must ask is this. Why were they so annoyed? What, what had Peter and John done that, that, that was so offensive that it would cause these men to arrest them? Now, what does Luke tell us? Because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now, we already understand that these men didn't like Jesus. For these would have been the, the same men who would have arrested our Lord and put him on trial and then handed him over to Pilate. 
They were the enemies of Christ, and they were responsible for his death. And so, yes, the fact that Peter and John were now teaching in Jesus' name would have upset these men. But, but what Luke is also highlighting for us, and what, what can be missed without a careful reading, is, is that Peter and John were also teaching the resurrection. Look, look, at, look at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 20, verse 27. We, we learn a little something about these Sadducees in this verse. It says this, There came to him some Sadducees, those who deny that there is a resurrection. You see, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. Yes, they, they believed in Sheol, the realm of the dead, where the spirits of the, the deceased would go after they had died. But the idea of a, of a bodily resurrection, of a physical resurrection, was just too much for them. And this is why the teaching of both, both Peter and John was so disturbing to them. Because they had been proclaiming that this Jesus, this one they hated, this one whom they had crucified, had now risen bodily. And so they arrested these men. And held them overnight, hoping to stop the spread of this teaching. And yet they were a little too late, were they not? The damage had already been done, for, for God had used these two men to further advance his kingdom. Look at, look at verse 4. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. Now, the meaning of this number might be a bit ambiguous. I mean, it could mean that another 5,000 were added to their number, or it could be that the total had now come to roughly 5,000. And since they were already at 3,000, it would have been roughly another 2,000 people that were added to their number that day who became Christians. But, but either case, whether 5,000 more or 2,000 more, wh whatever the case is, it has become quite evident that God was moving among his people and that the gospel message truly does have the power of salvation. I mean, bottom line, God was going to grow his kingdom through the proclamation of Jesus Christ. And despite all the opposition to this message, there was nothing that the world could really do to prevent this kingdom growth. And the same is true today, is it not? That, 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 that the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ, that that proclamation is what grows God's kingdom. And as God's church, it is our sacred duty to be his bold witnesses. So what became of Peter and John? Look at the next verses. Look at verses 5 through 7. On the next day, the, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? 
Here again, we, we see the players who are involved, do we not? These rulers and elders and scribes. These were those who made up what this, this, this council known as the Sanhedrin. The, the ruling council in Jerusalem. Again, it was the, the Sanhedrin who had sent, sentenced Jesus to death only a few short months earlier. And, and so these were the enemies of Christ. But, but who is this group that makes up this council? When, when Luke refers to the rulers, he is, he is referring to, the, to that priestly class known as the Sadducees. That's who he's talking about there. And we've already discussed who they are. When he speaks of the elders, he, he's speaking of the, this rich elite within Jerusalem, these, these men who weren't necessarily the religious elite, but were leaders within their city nonetheless. Maybe they were businessmen who had earned the respect of their countrymen, and so they were on this council. And when he speaks of the, of, of the scribes, he, he's speaking of those who have mastered the Torah, right? The Old Testament scriptures. They were the lawyers of their time. And so they were the men that people went to when people needed understanding concerning God's law, when they needed clarification. Now, the majority of these scribes would have been Pharisees, a group that the Sadducees did not like. And yet the Sadducees had to work with them through this Jewish council. And so, and so we see that, that the seats of power did not solely rest in the hands of the Sadducees, yet they were powerful nonetheless. For Luke also mentions four names, does he not? Four men who were Sadducees and members of this council. We have Annas, the high priest, along with Caiaphas and John and Alexander. Now, now Annas, he, he was the patriarch of the time. The, the, the most powerful Sadducee that there was. He, 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 his family ran the temple. He was the high priestly family throughout the first century A.D. Now, not only did he serve as high priest for a number of years, but, but he then had five sons, all of whom enjoyed that office at one time or another as they kept control over the temple within the family. And so Annas, he would have been the high priest serving during John the Baptist's ministry during the beginning. And even though Luke says he is the high priest, he wasn't currently the high priest. It was, it was just a title that he had retained, kind of, kind of like how we call our former president's president, right? Um, so Luke is using a qualifier here in order to clarify whom he was speaking of. And then we have Caiaphas, who was Annas' son-in-law. So it wasn't his son, but one of his daughters married Caiaphas. And he, he was a high priest when, when Jesus was arrested. And most likely he is the high priest right now, serving in that position. And then we have John, who, who was a son of Annas. And from the writings of the historian Josephus, we know that he would become the next high priest after Caiaphas. And then there's Alexander, who was also a relative of Annas and a prominent man within Jerusalem. 
And so you can see that, that the power resided in this one family. What, what Luke is telling us here is that the most powerful Jews in pretty much all of Israel were now sitting in judgment over Peter and John. They who held the worldly power were now at odds against the power of Jesus Christ. Do you see that? And this leads into the question that they asked these two men. By what power or by what name did you do this? Their, their, their question gets, that, gets to the heart of the matter, does it not? They weren't going to waste any time trying to build a case against these men. For they had, they had already known what Peter and John were preaching. They, what, what they wanted to do now was to pre prevent that teaching. Prevent them from speaking the name of Jesus. And that's why they asked the question that they did. By what power or by what name did you do this? They were, they were looking for the answer of Jesus in order that they might now condemn such teaching in his name. But did you notice the part that they left out? What they didn't say? They, they didn't say exactly what it was that they had done, right? What they did. They didn't mention this lame man who was now walking. And that was because they didn't want to draw attention to the miraculous healing that had happened. All they wanted to do was to condemn the name of Jesus. Well, how did Peter answer them? Look at, look at verses 8 through 10. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. As we have seen so often throughout the scriptures, God is once again able to use what seems to be a disadvantageous situation in order to provide a platform for his purposes. God was able to use this mockery of justice in order that Jesus Christ might be proclaimed, that his son might be glorified. And how did he do this? Well, as Peter was giving, preparing to give his defense, Luke informs us that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. Did you catch that? In other words, Peter was not alone. And this is exactly what Jesus had promised to his disciples during his earthly ministry, is it not? Look at, look at Luke chapter 12, verses 11 and 12. Jesus says this to them. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or about what you should say. 
For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. And this is the beauty of what we see happening in the book of Acts. For Jesus didn't ask Peter to be his witness and just hang him out to dry. No. He was with Peter every step of the way. Even in the darkest moments. It is in the strength of the Holy Spirit that Peter defended himself. And what was his defense? Well, his defense really consisted of two points. First, Peter proclaimed that a, that a good deed shouldn't be punished, right? I mean, think about what they were arresting him for. A man who had been lame since birth could now walk. How is that a bad thing? It's not. I mean, these authorities had no real reason to arrest them. Typically, an action like that would result in gratitude and not some hostile examination. This shouldn't have been a trial. It should have been a celebration. It should have been an honoring. You see, by, by making this observation, Peter is highlighting the very thing that these authorities wanted to keep hidden. That a miracle did happen. That this lame man now walks. And this leads into the second part of Peter's defense. The part that addresses the question that, that the council had been asking. By what power or what name did you do this? What did Peter say? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man is standing before you well. It was Jesus who had healed this man. And Peter will not let this truth go unspoken. He will proclaim this Jesus to all who are present, but not only to all who are present, but to all of Israel. Peter is not being bashful when it comes to the details of who this Jesus is either, right? For what does he tell us? I mean, first he, he tells us that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. And even though he comes from Nazareth, a, a place that was despised and ridiculed by the Jerusalem elite, he is now the Savior King, the King whom God has sent. And now all must bend the knee and bow to him. For his power has been made known. But not only this, but then Peter boldly asserts that these Jewish leaders were the ones responsible for the crucifixion of this Messiah. This, this is now the third time we see Peter making such a statement in the, in the book of Acts. Only this time he, he is doing, doing it to those who had the closest involve, involvement. I mean, think about this. If Peter was really trying to be cleared of any crimes, he, he wasn't doing himself any favors, was he? he? He wasn't winning any friends on this council. But Peter doesn't care about his freedom. 
What he cares about is the state of these men's souls. They, too, needed to repent. Third thing we see, Peter, Peter claims that this Jesus has been raised from the dead. Uh, again, this, this cannot be disputed. As Jesus had been seen, he had been witnessed by hundreds and hundreds of men. And finally, fourth, we, we see that Peter has now demonstrated that Jesus has risen from the dead, right? And that his resurrection power is a power that has now healed this man who is now before them. And so he points once again to the, to the miraculous sign that they wanted to ignore. And yet Peter wasn't finished demonstrating the guilt of these men and their need of repentance. Look, look at the next few verses. For Peter continues, he says this. This Jesus is a stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And so even though he is your Messiah, you have chosen to reject him, as was prophesied by the psalmist. That's what Peter said. He, he was quoting Psalm 118, this, this cornerstone that the builders rejected. He's saying, you are those builders. Ouch. Now, now many of these leaders would have remembered that Jesus had quoted this same psalm when he accused them of rejecting God's Messiah. Look, look at this passage from Luke, Luke 20. We're going to get a parable, and then we're going to get that psalm. But, but look at this and think about the case that Jesus is making against them. Luke, Luke 20, verses 9 through 18, it says this. And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. When the time came, he, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant. But they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And, and he sent yet a third. This one also they wounded and cast out. The owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And then they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, Surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, What then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. 
Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. What, what, what Jesus was telling these Jewish leaders was that their time was up. That because of their corrupt ways and their disdain for their master, God would take away the authority that had been given to them, and then he would give that authority to someone else. And that someone else was now speaking before them, and he was quoting this same psalm. God's kingdom would no longer be governed by them because they were wicked tenants. Rather, the authority would be given to these apostles, these men who are now testifying before them. God would hand over the keys of the kingdom to them. And that is because both Peter and John were building off of the cornerstone who is Jesus Christ. For what does he say? Salvation can be found only be found in him. For there is no other name by which men can be saved. The sins of God's people can only be blotted out through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And the world hates this message. You see... While, while the Christian faith is inclusive in the fact that all are welcome, the Christian faith is also exclusive in that there is only one way of entering in. It is through Jesus and no one else that a man can enter into God's kingdom. And the world hates this claim. And that's because it wants to have its cake and eat it too, right? Right? They they come up with these sayings such as, all paths lead to God. How many of you have heard that before? Sayings like this, they're, they're built out of this desire to remain in one's sins or to remain in one's idolatry, all while feeling safe and secure, right? And so they have created this God who, who, who simply does not care about his holiness, who does not care about his justice, and that is why when the world hears a message like the one that Peter just gave, the world will bare its teeth and fight back. And this is exactly what we'll see as we look further into this, into this passage. Look at, look, look at verses 13 and 14. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. And so these men, their, their voices are silenced for a little bit, right? They're in amazement. Amazement that when it came to Peter and John's boldness, the fact that they were unschooled, it gave them pause. And the reason it gave them pause was because that these two men, they, they put forth, forward such a strong defense. Now when they say that they were unschooled, what they were saying is that they had no formal training. 
formal training either as priests or as scribes, experts of the law. They were neither the Sadducees nor the Pharisees. They were just common men. And yet they make note that they had been with Jesus, right? In other words, their schooling was the three years that they had spent with Christ. They were his disciples, meaning that they had learned from him. And what this council was beginning to realize is that there is no better school than the school of Jesus. And thus they were in a dilemma, were they not? For Peter had presented this case that they could not refute. And the fact that this lame man was now standing there before them in his own strength, it left these men speechless. They could not deny that a miracle had happened. And the fact that there were now thousands upon thousands of witnesses to this healing, it made it pretty much impossible for them to just shove it aside. And yet they did not want to give credence to Peter's and John's claim. This, this claim that, 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 that it had been the risen Jesus who had healed this man. And yet in the same breath they couldn't punish these men either for the good deed that they had done was, was now in front of the eyes of everyone in Jerusalem. And if they punished these men they would lose favor with the people. And so they, they needed to find some middle way. They couldn't convict them, but they wouldn't absolve them either. Look at their solution. Look at, look at verses 15 through 18. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. In their earthly wisdom, this council had now placed a ban on the name of Jesus. They had threatened these apostles with, with reprisal if they continued to teach in his name. In essence, they, they wanted to control the speech of these men. But why were they doing this? Why were they so threatened by the name of Jesus? Well, for one, because this teaching that Jesus is the Messiah makes them complicit in the crime of the ages, right? I mean, they were the ones who had put Jesus on trial. They were the ones who handed him over to Pilate. And they were the ones who were shouting, Crucify! Crucify! And so if such teaching continued, it would cast a stain upon their reputations. But I think there was another reason that these men wanted the disciples of Jesus to stop. Because I believe deep down these men knew it to be true. And the truth was crushing them. And so they would do whatever it took to suppress that truth. Listen to the words that Jesus gave to his disciples in the Gospel of John. Look at John chapter 15, verses 18 through 24. 
If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would, not, they would have not been guilty of sin. But now, that, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. You see, Jesus expressly stated to his apostles exactly what would happen. That they would persecute them. Just as they persecuted him. And Jesus tells us that these men were guilty, right? Guilty because they knew the truth and they denied it. And because they had denied that truth, they now refused the truth to be to be spoken. They had placed a ban on the name of Jesus. Dear friends, understand this. The world wants to control what you say. The world wants to make it a crime to speak the name of Jesus. And that's because when you use the name of Jesus, it demonstrates their guilt. They can no longer hide behind their pious acts. Or their worldly morality. They can no longer claim that they are good people. Or, they don't, or that they don't need to repent. And so they want to stifle the name of Jesus. So that they won't have to feel the guilt or the shame of their own sin. And yet deep down they know it to be true. They know that Jesus is their only hope and it eats them up inside because they do not love him or they do not love his father. And they would rather be damned to hell than to bend the knee to the one whom they despise. Listen, when, when you become a witness for Jesus Christ, the world will fight back. The world will, will, will try to stop you dead in your tracks. In fact, if the world isn't trying to fight back, then perhaps you should ask yourself, am I really being a witness? You, you see, there, there is this danger that we can get caught up in as Christians when we let the world intimidate us. For the world, especially in America, it will tell you this. Go ahead. Believe in your Jesus. Just do it in the privacy of your own home. Don't bring it into my world. Because if you do, there will be hell to pay. And, and so we, we hear this message and we, and we shrink back, do we not? We, and we tell ourselves these little lies. Lies that we turn into excuses isn't part of being a witness being able to stay out of trouble? 
Wouldn't we hurt the gospel message if people saw us as offensive? I mean, what kind of witness would we have if we rock the boat? Listen, Jesus rocked the boat. And he did, he did it so much that, 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 that he sunk it, right? I mean, and why do you think he was crucified? What was he saying? It's because the true gospel message is offensive to a world that hates him. And now Peter and John are following the example of their master. And we should look to them as they were being pressured to shut up and find our example, should we not? Look, look, at, look at verses 19 and 20. How did Peter and John respond to this ban on Jesus' name? But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. We cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Again, we, we, we see two arguments that these disciples are putting forth. One, they, they have been commissioned by God himself to speak the name of Jesus. In fact, they were to go throughout the whole of the earth, right? And proclaim this name. And so this council's command to silence them, it goes against the will of God himself. And, and two, this, this command to not speak goes against what is true and what is right. I mean, they were witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus. And so in essence, by, by not speaking, they would be putting themselves into a position of being false witnesses. Right? They, they would be breaking one of the Ten Commandments if they remained silent. Peter and John had no other option. And this is why they said, we cannot but speak. They, they refused to be silenced by this human court when the court in heaven, when, when, when the exalted Jesus who was sitting on his eternal throne had commanded them to open their mouths. But not only did he command them to speak, but he had also empowered them with the Holy Spirit. And so to not do so after Christ empowered them to do so, not only would it have been sinful, but it would have been a slap in Jesus' face. And this should be our attitude as well. We cannot but speak. We must be obedient to God and not to men. Let me, let me ask you, do you understand that you have the authority to speak the name of Jesus, to speak the gospel? That in God's eyes, there is no human law that supersedes his command to proclaim. Do you understand that, that you have an obligation to speak the gospel? That because of what Christ has done for you, because of the salvation that he has brought your way, that, that it is now your duty to speak his name. 
And do you realize that when you do speak the gospel, you will face opposition, just as Jesus promised? And do you recognize that this opposition may result in hardship or imprisonment or even your own death? And yet you have, you really have no choice. You must continue to proclaim the gospel because you cannot be silent. You must speak the name of Jesus. Think about that, that young girl over in China who refused to trample the cross of Christ. She knew what it would mean to remain faithful to Jesus. And yet through her bold actions, she became the loudest witness of Jesus Christ that day. This Jewish council, the Sanhedrin, well, they didn't take kindly to the words that Peter and John had spoken. Look at, look at our last two verses. Look at verses 21 and 22. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Peter and John were warned, but a warning would be all that they received that day. This council's inability to, to deliver a punishment was due to the fact that, that Peter and John had broken no law. They were unable to establish a, a, a crime. There was not sufficient enough reason to punish them. Plus, they were afraid, right? They were afraid of the masses, for there were many within Jerusalem who were now rejoicing over the healing of this man. Most of the city was giving credit to God for this miracle. There, I mean, there was no denying that this was of God's hand. And yet now, now that they had placed this ban... <coughs> Now that the name of Jesus would, would, would be no longer allowed to be spoken, this council would keep their eyes peeled. They'd keep their ears to the ground, as now they would have legal grounds to dole out punishment. This council would now use the power that they wielded, this worldly power, in order to suppress the truth the truth concerning this one whom they hated. Dear friends, for the majority of your lives, you didn't have to live in the fear of persecution. I mean, you're an American, right? You have freedom of speech. But unfortunately, most American Christians have lacked the boldness of, of Peter and John. We, we've allowed the pressures of a frowning society to hamper our witness. And now we are seeing the fruits of our labors, are we not? As those freedoms that we once had are slowly eroding away. I, I'm not a prophet, but I can see trends. 
And I believe that in the not-so-distant future, we will begin to see more and more bans on the name of Jesus. That the world will want to shut us up even further. Christ is calling for his church to grow a backbone. He, he, he is calling us to grow a spine. He, he wants us to man up and start proclaiming his name. But that will only happen if we, if we learn to let go of our incessant need to be liked. If we learn to get our approval from God and, and instead of from the world. For once we do that, then just like Peter and just like John, we can also say we cannot but speak. This is a call that has been placed on each and every one of you. It's a call placed on me as well. And I, I come to you today, I speak this message. Yeah, I need to hear this message just as much as you do. I need to grow in my boldness. I need to open my mouth more. Too often I have been silent. This is a call upon us. Let's, let's grow together as a church. Let's be the bold witnesses and let's open our voices and speak the name of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today as really untested Christians. And we confess to you that, that we know little of persecution. We don't know how we would fare if, if persecution ever hit home here in the U.S. And we confess to you as well that, that we have been too silent given the amount of freedom that we have. That we have. Freedom to proclaim the name of Jesus, your Son. Father, we need your help. Help us to repent. Help us to be bold in our proclamation. Let the name of Jesus Christ be ever on our lips. Take away our love to be light. Take away our love for the world's approval. And help us to seek your approval. Change our hearts. We know this is only possible through the power of your Holy Spirit that only he can accomplish this. And so we ask that your spirit would move among us, that he would change us into to men like Peter and John who, who could not but speak the name of Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name.